The story is told of a small town prosecuting attorney who called his first witness to the stand in a trial. The witness was a grandmotherly elderly woman. As he approached her, he asked her the question, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She responded, Why, yes, I know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy. And frankly, you're a big disappointment to me. You think you're a respected big shot, but you lie, you cheat on your wife, you manipulate people and talk about them behind their backs. Oh, yes, I know you. Well, the lawyer was stunned in the courtroom with him. Not knowing what else to do, he then pointed across the room and asked, Mrs. Williams, do you know the defense attorney? She again replied, why, yes, I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster too, and I used to babysit him. Again, he's a real disappointment to me too. Puts on a big show, but he's lazy, bigoted. He has a drinking problem. The man can't build normal relationships with anyone, and his law practice is one of the shoddiest in the entire state. Oh, yes, I know him. At this point, a murmur rippled through the entire room, and the judge rapped on his gavel to silence the courtroom. He demanded both lawyers to approach the bench. Then in a hushed growl, he said with menace, If either of you asks her if she knows me, I'll jail you for contempt. There is a vast difference between those who are genuine, authentic, and real about what they believe, about what they say, about what they do, and those who only give lip service or imitate or fake it. Without getting into any details, I think if you've been paying attention to the news this past week, you know that some of the conduct that's been revealed in our nation's highest government is another unfortunate example of this. But while, of course, it's easy to point to our government or even others around us, it's easy to blame others when they're being fake or hypocritical in some way, God's word, when we hear it, always confronts each of us personally. God's word doesn't say, well, what about your neighbor? What about your government official? God's word says, what about you? And it always asks us personally the penetrating question, what are you going to do in response to my word? So this morning, I want to begin by each of you doing this. Honestly, ask yourself this question. Am I living an authentic and real Christian life? Am I living a real, authentic Christian life? Is my life reflecting God's glory in a real, genuine way? Or am I in some way, whether big or small, just faking it? Now, if you honestly ask yourself those series of questions, am I, am I real in my faith or am I just faking it, whether in some big way or small way? If you felt any degree of conviction from going through this exercise, let me just tell you straight out. The way to changing is not by trying harder. The way to change is by humbly going to God and saying, I can't, but I know you can So please change me. And it's when we do this that we will begin to be transformed by God's glory, into God's glory, for God's glory. It's a God-centric view of of looking at change instead of a self-centered view. 
Too often we get caught up in the pop philosophies of the world in saying, you know, it's about me. I'm at the center of all this. And we're self-centered by nature. But instead, when we look at God and our eyes are off ourselves, that is when genuine transformation can begin to happen. Because it's not about us and our effort. It's about him and what he is able to do. And so this is what we're going to focus on this morning. Not self-renovation but divine transfiguration. We, of course, know of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. This is one of the famous events in the Gospels. But fewer of us have heard about the transfiguration of Moses, or considered even the transfiguration of ourselves. But that is exactly what God's Word tells us, and we're going to focus on that this morning. Now, Webster's Dictionary defines transfigured this way. To change in outward appearance... To change so as to glorify or exalt. Now, by the definition, dictionary definition of the word, this is exactly what happened to Moses up on that mountaintop. So let's focus in on the transfiguration of Moses. Exodus 34, verse 29. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. We'll be looking at this passage a little bit more in depth. Verse 29 of Exodus 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Now in this slide, you'll see as Moses is coming down the mountain, he's carrying this time the Ten Commandments carved from his own hands, the first time God carved them, the second time Moses had to do the work. I think that was a small consequence of him smashing what God had made. And so as he comes down the mountain, however, he doesn't just have the Ten Commandments. His face is literally glowing. He must have been one scary-looking dude. I mean, he's coming down the mountain. He's got these huge tablets in his hands, and his face is glowing. The reason I can say safely he must have been one scary-looking dude is because how people responded to him. Moses comes down, and everyone keeps a distance. Why? Because they were afraid. No one wanted to get close to him. And can you blame them? I mean, evidently something has happened. Some sort of unexplainable light is radiating from his face, freaking out everyone, even Moses' own brother Aaron won't approach Moses. What's interesting is the verse also tells us that Moses was unaware that his face was glowing. He didn't even realize it, that he was this, somehow this, this, um, glowing, this glowing light bulb, if you will, as he's coming down the mountain. And again, this shows us something that Moses wasn't focused on himself. He was focused on God. And as a result of that, his life was radiating literally God's glory. And so he comes down. He doesn't know it. And all the people are are hiding away. And he's probably looking at them thinking, get over here, guys. I have something to tell you. And it took a while for him to coax the people to come to him. But finally, they approach. They come to him. And Moses delivers the words of God to them. And so, so far, so good. But then in the passage, a curious thing happens next. Exodus 34, 33. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord again. 
So what exactly is going on here? What's the sequence of events that we're seeing? Because clearly, if Moses had wanted to stop the people from just freaking out about his glowing face, right? If that was the motivation for putting on the veil, he would have put the veil on before speaking to the people, right? But in this verse, we look at it, and the the order that this happens, he only puts the veil on his face after he has finished speaking to the people. It's after. Then, he puts the veil back on after he's finished speaking to them, and he keeps it on until he goes in to speak to the Lord again face-to-face with the veil removed. Then, after leaving the presence of the Lord, he would put the veil back on until he was with the people, Then he would speak to the people again with his face unveiled. He wanted the people to see his glowing face. Then once more after finished speaking, he would put the veil back on. So why is Moses intentionally letting the people see his glowing face, then putting the veil back on after he's done speaking to them? What is the motivation for doing this? Well, in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 13, the Apostle Paul gives us this insight as to Moses' motivation. Paul writes that Moses put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at it while the radiance faded away. So in other words, the light that was shining from Moses' face after being in God's presence would begin to fade over time. Think about it like one of those glow-in-the-dark toys. You put it up in front of the light... Right? And it soaks it all up, and at first it's just glowing green. It's, you know, glowing like crazy. But give it a few hours, and you look at it, and it's going, it's fading until it's gone. It needs to go back to a light source. Apparently, Moses' face was working along those same principles. He was soaking up the radiance of God. Initially, the glow would have been probably hard to even look at, but over time, it began to fade. And Moses, for some reason, didn't want the people to see the glory fading. He didn't want them to see that it was beginning to diminish. We can speculate as to the reasons why. Perhaps he feared for the morale of the people and for his own authority as their leader if the people saw the glory fade. But whatever Moses' exact reason, what we do know is that time spent directly in God's presence began to transfigure Moses. That is, he began to change in outward appearance so as to glorify and exalt God. However, we also know that time spent away from God's direct presence and the change and the glory would begin to fade away. So there's a lesson in this for all of us. A great many Christians are like Moses. When they first encounter God in Jesus Christ receive salvation, the relief, the joy, the peace, the freedom, all of those amazing feelings are overwhelming and they, and they just overflow and they fill us up and they begin to radiate outwards. And of course, their faces don't literally glow as Moses did. But I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that their spirit, their demeanor, their attitude towards life, there's a glow in it that others can't help but see. There's a change here. And something, something new is radiating from this person's life. They're different than they were before. But then, like Moses' shining face, the initial glow and enthusiasm of our first salvation begins to fade with time. And so what does the new believer need? Well, the new believer needs exactly the same thing as the old believer. 
We need frequent and repeated times spent being renewed and transformed by the glorious presence of God, the cleansing grace of Christ, and the inner refreshing of the Holy Spirit. We all need God's renewal. Whether you're a new Christian, it was just last week, whether you've been a Christian for 60 years, we all need God's renewal. We need his glory. We need his work and power to continue to transform and renew our spirits day by day and hour by hour. We all need it. Because what happens if we don't get that? What happens if we don't get renewed, if we don't get recharged, as it were? Well, we begin to fade. We begin to fade spiritually. And things that once excited us start to become boring or just chores to get done, duties, obligations. Whether we worship, whether we read the Bible, whether we participate in Christian fellowship, whether we pray, whether we serve, whether we help witness or encourage, whether we begin to avoid them or begin to do them simply because I I guess I have to. It's this Christian obligation I have, you see. i got to do these things. If that's beginning to happen in your life, chances are that's a sign of the glory fading. There's a dryness setting in. And so when this happens, we need renewal. And often what we do at this point, when we recognize there's a dryness settling into our spirit, our spiritual vitality is going away, what we often do when we recognize this is instead of going back to God, we fake it. And some of us get really good at faking it. We put on the veil, as it were, of good Christian behavior. And we have Christianese. We have our own lingo that we know how to speak fluently. And so we put a spiritual spin on things. And we say, you know, I'm just going through one of those dry seasons in life. You know, it's just going to, you know, we're just working through it. And we make excuses for being dry. I'm just in a dry season. Yeah, sometimes we have to go through dry seasons, but that's not a reason to stay there. To be content in in a dry place spiritually in your life. We get good at faking it. But instead, what we need to do is we need to forget about faking it. And we need to do something much more drastic and much more simple. Because whether we successfully hide the fading of God's glory in our lives or not, the reality is God sees it and it's happening all the same. And of course, deep down, I think we would all be in agreement here this morning, deep down, we all know we don't want to fake it. We don't want to be one of those people who's just going through life putting on a brave face, putting on that Christian veil. No one wants to be that person. No one wants to be like the one pompous church member who once visited a young Sunday school class, and at one point he asked the young students, Why do you think people call me a Christian? There was a pause, and the kids were thinking, and finally one of the boys pipes up and says, because they don't know you very well? Ouch. No one wants to be that guy, right? No one wants to be that that woman. No one wants to be that man who people can see. You're just going through the motion, the veneer, the veil of being a Christian. So how do we guard against this? Because, of course, Unlike Moses, we can't physically go back up the mountain to talk to God. So how do we keep the glow of God renewed and fresh in our lives today? Well, to answer that question more fully, we need to look at another transfiguration. We need to look at the transfiguration of Christ. 
In this next slide, you'll see a depiction of that, the transfiguration of Christ on the mountaintop. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 28, we read that Jesus promised to his disciples this, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What follows next in chapter 17, 1 to 3, is the fulfillment of that promise. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. He led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. There's a lot going on here. And the first thing I want to draw to your attention is that there are direct parallels in this passage to Exodus 34. We see that there's a mountaintop. We see that there's God's glory revealed in a, in a, in a physical manifestation, a theophany. And there's a transfiguration. So we see these parallels happening. But the differences are even as important or more so than the similarities. For here, rather than the emphasis being on Moses' glowing face, we are told by Matthew that not only was Jesus' face glowing, Matthew says it shone like the sun. So Moses' face was only reflecting glory. It was not the source of glory. Therefore, it could not retain the glow forever. Jesus' face, however, was different. Jesus' face was not just reflecting glory. Jesus' face was the source of glory. There's a difference. Jesus' glory could not fade or or, or diminish in any possible way. Jesus was the source. Now, you must remember... The Jews revered Moses as higher than anyone else, than any other prophet. The Jews of Jesus' day, especially. Moses was the top dog next to God himself. But here, just to make it crystal clear to the Jewish audience, remember this is Matthew writing to a Jewish audience, to make it crystal clear, and God of course revealed this, who was the top dog in God's hierarchy? It's not Moses, because Moses is on the mountaintop too. He shows up along with Elijah. But who is the source of the light? Is it Moses? No, it's Jesus. And yes, Matthew says that Moses and Elijah are also transfigured. They are glowing. They are not the source. They are simply reflecting the glory that is coming from Christ. And so here we see Jesus is the source of glory. He is the source of Moses' glory. He is the source of Elijah's glory. He was the source of the disciples' glory. Jesus is the source of our glory. There can be no glory, no reflection of it apart from Christ. And the Gospel of Luke records that while Moses and Elijah are shining, Jesus is at the center. Now the triune nature of God is, of course, a great mystery. We're not going to get into it this morning. But it was Jesus himself who said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. And so, in whatever theophany or physical manifestation that God revealed himself to Moses way back in Exodus on the top of Mount Sinai, we can confidently say that Jesus, God the Son, was present. And so, just as Moses reflected Christ's glory way back there on Mount Sinai, he does so once again in front of the disciples. 
And of course, the disciples are taking all of this in and they're just stupefied. They're, they're dumbfounded. They don't even know what to think or say. And, and of course, Peter does this thing where just, you know, good old Peter, he's like, let's build three booths for you guys and we'll hang out out here, we'll live up here. And he just doesn't know what he's saying. He's just blathering on. But, but none of that goes anywhere. And then at the end of the transfiguration of Jesus, God the Father himself speaks from heaven. He says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. And then just like that, it vanishes. And they're left with Jesus alone, looking as ordinary as he had before, and they're trying to process all of this. So what are we to make of it all? What does it mean for us? Well, it leads to the third transfiguration that I want to focus on this morning. You see in this next slide that it's Jesus, the same one who met with Moses, the same one who met with the disciples, is the one who meets with me. No, we can't go up the mountain like Moses We can't go up the mountain like the disciples to meet with the Lord in a physical way. But by faith, we can go up the Mount of Calvary. And we can meet with Jesus at the foot of the cross. And it's there that we find God's mercy and grace. It's at the cross that we find our sins forgiven. It's there that we receive his free gift of salvation None of it our doing. All of it his. Therefore, all glory is his and his alone. But it doesn't end there. For Jesus then goes on to share his radiant glory with us. This is getting into territory that mortal minds can barely even begin to go. But the Apostle Paul was given revelation and insight into this area that few others were given. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 to 18... The Apostle Paul writes this. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. You see, the inner change begins the moment we first turn to the Lord in faith. The the first time we go to the cross, that's where the change begins. But it doesn't stop. The, The mysterious indwelling of the Holy Spirit, when he comes and resides in our hearts through faith, Jesus comes with the Spirit, and he lives within us. Jesus lives within us by faith. So now listen, this is this is the most important part. This is what I want you to get this morning. When we're spiritually dry, when we know that we're somehow faking it or just going through the motions, we don't have to go somewhere to soak up more of Jesus' glory. We don't have to go up a mountaintop. We don't have to to go to the ends of the earth to go somewhere to find more of Jesus so that we can soak him up, so that we can have his glow come out of our lives. Why? Because by faith, Jesus is already inside of you. He's in us. And what is Jesus doing there? He tells us himself, he's changing us. He's changing you, he's changing me. It's like that old camp song we used to sing. He's changing me, my precious Jesus. I'm not half the person that I used to be. Sometimes it's slow going, but there's a knowing that someday... 
perfect I will be. I love that song. Do you guys remember that song? Did I butcher it? Yeah, I kind of did. That's all right. I love that song because it spoke to my heart. I'm not who I was, or I'm not who I want to be, but thank the Lord I'm not who I was. He's changing me. He's on the inside doing that right now, today. So that means it's not my job to change myself. It's not. It's not my job. It's his. It's his work done by his power, by his presence indwelling me. What a relief. What a relief. Doesn't that relieve you to know that it's his work, not ours? It's his power, not mine. I don't have to conjure up something that I don't have. He's doing it. It's his work. All we must do is surrender control to him. Stop trying harder and instead humble ourselves and start sincerely praying from the heart, Lord Jesus, I can't, but you can. Please change me. And he will. And so we got to ask the question, what or who is he changing us into? Well, none other than his own glorious image. One of the men on the mountaintop that day at Jesus' transfiguration wrote much later on in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, our call to worship this morning. John writes, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we, what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Friends, if that doesn't get you excited, nothing will. Nothing gets me more excited than to know that one day, perfect I will be, completely, in every way, transfigured into the image of Christ. I will be like him. And I'm looking forward to that day. And so just as Moses and Elijah were clothed in Christ's glory, and so were themselves fully transfigured on that mountaintop, inside and outside, That is God's end game. That is God's goal for each one of us. That we will be fully like Christ. Fully, gloriously, in all the mind-boggling, glowing, sparkling ways that we can't even begin to fathom. In other words, God's begun a good work in us, but he ain't finished yet. He ain't done yet. There's more coming. Philippians 1 verse 6 gives us this incredible promise. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out until the day of completion in Christ Jesus. And so until that day, until the day of Christ's return, our aim is to simply let Jesus' glory shine out of our lives. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And when he was talking about that, he wasn't saying your light that you somehow need to conjure up. No, the light is himself. Let Jesus shine out of us so that people will glorify the Father just as Christ's glory is shining out of us. What an incredible thing that today we don't have to go up a mountaintop to have God's glory soak into us so that it can shine out. No, God's glory has indwelled us. And through surrendering control to the Lord and saying, Lord, 
I agree with your work within me. I want more of it. Please change. And I will just go along with whatever you tell me, whatever you prompt me, Lord. I agree wholeheartedly. Change me. And I will go wherever you go. I will say whatever you say. But we're following his lead. And he's doing the work. And as we do that, his glory will begin to renew our spirits. His glory will begin to transform our minds. And yes, his glory will radiate outwards in such a way that people will see it and say, you know what? Something's different about them. Something has changed. Back in the 1800s, there was a famous preacher who was holding an evangelistic campaign. And during one of his messages, he couldn't help but notice that there was this man who sat right in the front of the congregation. And his face just had this radiant expression. No matter what he said or did, his face was almost, as it were, glowing. And so on the third night of the, of the meetings, he was preaching on the return of Christ. And at one point, the man in the pew got so caught up in the message that, that spontaneously he jumped to his feet and he shouted out, Yes, yes, and that will be glory for me. And after the meeting, the evangelist asked a deacon about that man that everyone had stopped and stared at for a second as he had spontaneously just burst out with this expression, that will be glory for me. And the deacon said, oh, that guy, that's old glory face. He's one of those Christians who always seems to be up on the mountaintop. But it made such an impression on the evangelist, and he thought about it much later, that man's face was so impressive and the expression so unique that the man who was preaching that day, his name is Charles H. Gabriel, he wrote this popular hymn, Oh, That Will Be Glory. And it goes like this, When all my labors and trials are o'er, and I am safe on that beautiful shore, just to be near the dear Lord I adore, will through the ages be glory for me. So remember, what each of us needs is not self-renovation, but divine transfiguration. So don't try harder. Instead, go to Jesus and say, I can't, but I know you can. Please keep on changing me. And by his power and presence, he will. And hallelujah, my friends, he is. Even now. Amen. Lord Jesus, we each come to you today, and with humble hearts, we simply pray, Lord, I can't, but you can. Please keep on changing me more into your glorious likeness. Lord, whatever doesn't belong in me, please cast it out. Please cast out all fear. Please cast out all doubt. All sin, Lord, anything that doesn't belong in your glorious presence, cast it out. And that which does belong, Lord, we pray that that will increase more and more, hour by hour, day by day. That though I'm not yet who I fully want to be, we give you all praise and glory that we're not who we were because of you. And so, Lord, by faith today, we know that one day, perhaps very soon, we will see you in all of your glorious presence face to face with the promise that on that day, 
we won't be the same. We will be fully transformed, not only on the inside, but on the outside, that we will be like you, hidden in you through all eternity, sharing in your glory. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, and we can't say it enough. We pray this in your name. Amen.